you have a Bible, please open it up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 24, and I'm actually going to read verses 10 to 27, chapter 24. If you are here and you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. One of our ushers will let you use one for the day. If you don't own a Bible, you now do. You can have that one. If you do own a Bible, you can leave that one in your seat when you're finished, and we will pick it up later and use it again another week. Somebody else can use it another week. The book of Acts, chapter 24, starting in verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me. But I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges, if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement I shouted while standing among them, Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, that he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed... Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. This is the word of God. If you came to do church today, and just to be here and hear and leave, you came to the wrong church. We've been in Acts for a while, and here at the end of Acts, we're following Paul's story. Paul, who was once Saul, but has been radically changed by Jesus Christ. He opposed and persecuted Christians and killed them and approved of their deaths and was going to persecute more when Jesus cut him off and sovereignly called him to life and to follow him. We've been following this Paul as he goes and proclaims the gospel to the ends of the earth as Acts unfolds. That's what we see as the church spreading to the ends of the earth. And here late in Acts... 
if you're tracking along with us, you may start saying, man, these are the same things every week. There's persecution, and Paul's going to proclaim, and there's going to be a promise, and we get it, and it's just this rhythm, and it's the same thing. And if that's all you see, you're missing it. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses daily, and to follow him. That means we reject who we say we've been born to be. You may say, I was born this way. That doesn't fly with Jesus. He says we must be born again. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We talked about this in our huddle this morning. No one in Jesus' day took up a cross to come back. There's a one-way ticket. Does this make sense? You took up a cross, you went to die. And then Jesus says, follow me, because he himself took up a cross and went and died in the place of sinners like you and like me. As we were just singing, three days later, he rose from the dead. If you're new to church, or if you're in a church that doesn't talk about the Bible or the gospel very much, I need you to know, we actually believe Jesus is alive right now. He is reigning over all things. He is holding all things together by the power of his will. He is interceding for his people right now at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back. These great, powerful truths captured Paul. And I wonder if they've gripped us the same way. I wonder if they're just things that we check off, things that we can write on a membership card and say, I believe this, I believe that. I've known a lot of people to die. I've not seen one get back up yet. The fact that we believe that Jesus is alive should transform everything we do, everything we think, everything we say. And it should inform who we are in the toughest times. You see, today in this passage... We kind of picked up in the middle of the story. If you've been tracking with us, you may have had your bookmark in the middle of chapter 23 thinking we were going to pick up there because that's where Pastor Marcus left off last week. Um, Paul, once again, had a riot against him. He was saved because Roman guards took him away and actually saved him from being killed by a crowd. And then he had a vision that night where the Lord actually told him, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. The living Christ spoke to Paul in a vision and said, I'm not done with you yet while he's in Jerusalem, telling him he's going to go to Rome. You can look on a map. Those are pretty far apart. So he had some traveling to do. He had some stuff to do. In chapter 23, verses 12 through 22, if you look back at that later, you're going to find that there's a group that so hated Paul and so hated his message that they made oaths not to eat or drink until they had killed him. Now, y'all, you may have people you don't like. You may even have people you hate. That's some serious hatred. I'm not sacrificing a meal for anybody. And they say, I'm not eating until you are dead. Y'all, these were serious circumstances. Don't, Don't read this and be like, oh, yeah, they're just trying to, like, you know, lock him in jail or something. No, he's in jail. They want him dead. They know that as long as there is breath in his lungs that we just sang about, that it belongs to the Lord, and he will continue proclaiming this gospel. 
Chapter 23 continues because Paul's nephew just happens to hear about this plot. I say just happens so emphatically because throughout Acts we see God as sovereign ruler orchestrating events to bring about his goodwill and purposes. And once again we see it here. We don't hear anything about Paul's family except right here. And all of a sudden his nephew overhears that there's a plot to kill him. He comes and tells Paul. And Paul tells the guards, hey, uh, you know that crowd that's trying to kill me? Yeah, they've now taken a blood oath that, that you know, they're going to kill me. So the Roman guards, knowing now that Paul is a Roman citizen, see it as their duty to protect him. So they say, okay, we've got to get him transferred ASAP. Uh, Lysias, who is mentioned in, in the passage that we read in verse 22, Claudius Lysias, um, he, he, he kind of had himself in a hard spot. I just want you to picture for a second. I'll put this in human terms for a second. You're in charge of someone. You're in charge of their survival. And suddenly, 40 people have said, we're not going to eat until they're dead. Sounds like an action movie, doesn't it? Like, this is setting up for, like, a Vin Diesel movie or, or, or Dwayne the Rock Johnson, okay? This is, this is craziness, but this happened. So Claudius finds himself as this Roman centurion who says, all right, I've got to take care of this guy. What do I do? He actually ends up taking about half the guard at Jerusalem to transport Paul out of town. Half of the Roman guard takes several hundred people with him to guard Paul because he says, they're not going to hurt a Roman citizen on my watch. So they take him out to a place called Caesarea, which is a city by the sea. If you're thinking, okay, he's supposed to go to Rome, this is not very far at all. This would be like if we were in Charleston and we get you out to like North Charleston, maybe like Orangeburg, probably not even that far, and, but you got to get like to New York, okay? you you got a long way to go. They don't go that far, but they get him far enough out. They don't think these people are going to be a threat to him. Now, while he's there, he's put under the authority of a man named Felix. Felix was a corrupt ruler. Felix did not do things the right way. He looked out for his own good. He looked out um, for his own piggy bank. He was actually known, and eventually, when we see here at the end of this passage that he's removed, you can look at extra-biblical documents and see that Felix is a historic character who was removed for being a bad ruler. The Jews complained to Rome about him, that he wasn't doing a good job, that he needed to be removed. But Felix, here, is overseeing Paul. And they set up kind of a trial. I say kind of a trial. Because what happens is Ananias, the high priest, shows up with all of his goons. Not goons, the other priest. And some guy named Tertullus, which just, they had to like make turtle jokes to him, right? Sorry if that's like your middle name or something, but y'all, come on, Tertullus. And apparently he's a lawyer, he's well-spoken, and he comes and he's going to speak on their behalf, and they're going to make charges against Paul. So they make charges against him. They say he's um, doing all these things wrong. Verse 5 says, For we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, and so we apprehended him. Do you see all that? They're accusing him of stuff that he has not done. And they encourage Felix to consider these things. Paul speaks up, and yes, he does offer 
a slight defense to himself, and he knows the law well enough to say, listen, the people who were originally accusing me aren't even here. They need to be here to make these charges. But Paul gets back to the same thing that he always gets back to, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you were kind of tracking along. You're like, oh, man, he was kind of telling a good story, and I was feeling it, and he just threw in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is cheesy now. Like, we're at Sunday church. Of course, he's going to talk about the resurrection. Y'all, if you just think of the resurrection as just the resurrection, it's not that important. You've missed the point. And if you're here and you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in the historicity of the resurrection. i got bad news for you. You're not a Christian. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential doctrine. If he is not alive, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then our preaching is worthless. Our faith is worthless. It's all in vain. We're just singing and having a good time. I'm all about singing and having a good time, but y'all, I'm not coming back every week. I've got other stuff I'm going to go do. If Jesus isn't alive, that totally changes my worldview. But Paul, with threats of death against him, after being beaten, being imprisoned, people making false accusations against him, proclaims the resurrection of the Christ. And this has been the theme throughout Acts. In Acts chapter 1, they have to replace Judas. If you don't know who Judas is, he's the disciple that sold Jesus for silver. So he hanged himself. Obviously, he's not a disciple anymore. They need to replace him among the 12. So they go to find somebody. And before they find Matthias, they say to look for people who witnessed and can attest to Jesus' resurrection. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2. The Spirit descends on the church. There's a mighty rushing wind. There are flaming tongues. People are speaking in other languages and hearing in their own languages. It's a big moment. And Peter steps up to preach. And what does he preach? The resurrection. He points out that David foresaw and spoke of Jesus' resurrection. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John. And are you seeing the pattern here? Because guess what they talked about? The resurrection. And in Acts 17, we see Paul at the Areopagus, where he's dealing with all the modern thinkers. And a lot of people go to that passage so they can look at apologetics and things like that. What does he talk to them about? The resurrection. And then we come to church, and if we talk about the resurrection, people leave and go, there wasn't anything for me in that. You didn't tell me how that applied to my life. Folks, if there's no resurrection, there's no hope. Plain and simple. If there's no resurrection, then everything is as bad as the news tells you it is. Good luck. But there's good news. There is a resurrection. Jesus is alive. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And one day, as Paul even says here in this passage, everyone will be resurrected from the dead, the just and the unjust. For the ones who've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ will be raised to new life. We will find forgiveness of sins. We will find embrace from the Father. We'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We will dwell with him forever in resurrected bodies like our Lord Jesus's. Some of you are like, that sounds weird. I've not heard people talk about our resurrection, our resurrected body. Oh yeah, this is historic Christian stuff. This is biblical stuff. We kind of gloss over it today because we don't want Christianity to be weird, but make Christianity weird again. (laughs) 
I don't know about y'all, but when I see Jesus' resurrected body in John and he's just appearing in rooms that have locked doors, I'm like, I want a body that can do that. People are always like, I want to fly. I want to be able to really sing well. I'm like, I want to teleport. Y'all, like, think bigger. Resurrected, eternal body. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth totally without sin. I'm going to be hanging out with Laura on the new earth, and I'm going to be like, be right back. Teleport right to Jesus' side, though he's going to be kind of omnipresent. So, But I think he's still physically there in his resurrected body. Teleport by his side and be like, yo, what's up, Jesus? High five. Teleport back. That's going to be like my first 30 years. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that. But I like to dream and think. When was the last time you thought about a resurrection? Now notice it also says there's going to be a resurrection of the unjust. If you're here today and you're not in Christ, the resurrection is not good news. The resurrection means that you will meet God and you will meet the fullness of his wrath against sin for eternity. Justly so, rightly so, because he is holy and because he's good and evil will not get a pass with him. But there is good news for you today. If you're here and you don't know the gospel, this is all brand new to you, you don't know about resurrection, stuff like that, you can trust Jesus today and find forgiveness of sin. You can find eternal hope and eternal joy, and that means you can find meaning and purpose for now. That means that if people are making death threats against you or making false accusations against you or locking you in prison or beating you, you have hope. That means that you have a message to tell. That means that you have purpose right now. Every life is valuable. Everyone is made in the image of God. But so many don't know their purpose. They don't know that we're made to know and enjoy and glorify God, our creator and our sustainer. They don't know that he desires for us to be holy. People ask me all the time, Jake, What's God's will for my life? God wants you to be holy. He wants you to look like Jesus, and he wants you to make disciples. Okay? That means he wants you to follow him, and he wants you to show other people how to follow him. God is far less concerned about our geography than we are. He's far less concerned about what job we have or where we do these things. Are you being obedient now? And that question has weight. Because after Paul makes his defense and says this, Felix basically says, I know about the way, which is what they called Christianity at the time. I know about the way. I don't need to hear all this. Pushes him away. He says, when Lysias comes back, we'll decide your case. But he doesn't let him go. He gives him kind of loose restrictions on prison where he can still do some things. But he's still under watch. He's still in chains. Verse 24 says, several days later when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish... That's an important little note there, because this further shows that Felix is not a good man. Drusilla, historically speaking, had already been married to a Jewish man. And Felix led her out of that to come be his wife. It's as bad as it sounds. And now he's here with her. He sends for Paul and says, and listen to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul talks about to him. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, if you're a corrupt ruler who's taking other people's wives and only looking out for your own pocketbook, and Paul's going to come talk to you about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, 
Now you understand why it says Felix became afraid. Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're hearing the gospel today. You're hearing the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, the fact that he lived perfectly in active and passive obedience. That means completely without sin. He never messed up. He never transgressed against God like we do. And that he died in our place willingly. And he came back to life, sealing the hope of all who will trust in him as Savior and Lord. If you're here today, you are hearing this message. It's not too late for you. Do not be like Felix and leave for now and say, I'll come back to this sometime later. Don't do that. I'm pleading with you today is your day of salvation. Felix became afraid. If you're hearing this and you don't know the Lord, there is reason to be afraid. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. It's so easy to read these and be like, yeah, Paul was saved like two weeks ago and now he's here in Caesarea Look back at your text. It says, after two years had passed. For some reason in 2019 Charleston, if I say we're under threat of death, or they're taking us all to prison, Christians, or they're making false accusations against us, or they're going to line us up and beat us, there's almost something culturally okay about that. There's this like, yeah, we're doing something. Look at us. But if I say, the Lord is going to lead you to a prison and just leave you there for two years, even if we take out the whole prison stuff, and I just say, the Lord's going to make you wait for two years. I'm better at waiting than you are. The phone doesn't even like that I'm waiting. <laughs> no, we don't like to wait. In our culture, we don't wait well. You may be waiting to see what your next job is going to be. Or waiting to find out about a house. Maybe you're married and you're trying to have kids. Maybe you're not married, but you want to be. Maybe you're waiting to hear back results from a doctor. Whatever it is you're waiting on, what are you doing in the meantime? We're called to work in our waiting. And people say, well, that's insensitive, Jake. You're, you're, not, you're not calling people to courage. No, I'm calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And that means when there are unknown things, because there are always unknown things, and we don't like that because we like to be in control that we don't just wait until this time in the future that's never going to come to follow Jesus. We do it today. Paul, under threat of death, while in prison, while people are making false accusations, while people want him dead, and this ruler he's in the hands of just wants money from him, what does he do? He spends his time talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, here we are in Charleston. I'm going to come down there for a minute. I haven't done this before here. 
We're here in Charleston. We almost couldn't get paid to talk about the resurrection. Why? Oh, it's just kind of a weird subject. You don't talk about religion and politics. We talk about politics all the time. We might as well talk about religion too. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know that much. It's not that much for me to know. Do you know about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection? Do you trust him as Savior and Lord? If so, you know enough to share. You don't have to wait until you finish the next degree. You don't have to wait until you finish our line of huddles. You don't have to wait until Philip or Marcus or me say, go, Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the resurrected Christ at the right hand of the Father, has said, go, therefore, and make disciples. The only Christians who don't make disciples are disobedient ones. That's it. Go and make disciples. We have neighbors who don't know that Jesus is alive. They don't know. And you say, well, they've, they've probably heard of it. I have talked to people in Charleston who when I tell them that I believe Jesus is alive, they go, really? Yes! <laughs> and it's excellent news. And it changes everything. You know what's crazy? Even if they don't believe, they admit that if Jesus is alive, that does change everything. And then we have the audacity, the nerve to show up on Sundays and sing about him being alive and walk out of here like nothing's different. We make this so complicated. We make it so complicated. Our chairs have got to match. Got to make sure they're not too worn out so they're comfortable for guests. Want to make sure the music sounds as good as it can. We got lights and slides. You notice there are no slides today. There's not even a title for this sermon because as I was studying this passage, I couldn't sleep last night because it's so simple. We don't get it. And we come in here and we sing, It's your breath in our lungs. Sounds really good when we're singing that. What did we say this past week that didn't attest to that? What did we not say this past week that we should have said? This is not a game or a joke or emotional manipulation. Folks, I need you to know I believe that Jesus is alive and he is Lord and Savior. And there is no hope apart from him. And I admit fully, if he is not alive, this is all a joke. This is all in vain. But because he is alive, there is hope, there is comfort, there is peace, there is joy. And yes, for eternal life, and we can say one day, one day, but also right now, through the power of his spirit, working through his word, stirring in our hearts, sealing us for eternity, the Father holds us in his hand and no one will snatch us from him. Whatever your circumstances are right now, God's got you. He's got you. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I pray that you would at least have a conversation with me or Pastor Marcus or Pastor Philip or any of the members here who we see as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Talk to us about Jesus. Talk to us about 
what it really means to follow the Jesus of the Bible, not blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're here today. I know many of you would claim to be. And I think many of you are, because we are in a church where some people get this. And I'm often encouraged to hear of stories of making disciples and of loving and serving neighbors. But would you go and just tell one person this week? Find one person you know who doesn't know the gospel or rejects the gospel and tell them about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection and tell them that if they will trust in him and turn away from sin, they can be made whole, they can be made right with God, and they can live forever with him. Christian, will you do that? One person is all I'm asking. Look, look around this room for a second. You've been looking at me. Look around. If everybody in here went and told one person in Charleston this week, we might hear about it. That word might get out. Because people are going to be like, where did you come from? And some of you are going to be wearing your little radiant bracelet and you're going to be like, God's family on mission. This is what we do. You want to be part of the family? Come on down. But is that just a bracelet we wear and a banner we hang up, or do we live as God's family on mission? Paul lived on mission, no matter what came. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm here today to preach the same thing. Jesus is alive, and there's hope in him now and forever. I pray you'll receive it. Please pray with me.